back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. We are back with another summer bonus episode. Today we're going to talk about the 10 items for sheltering in place. Sit back, grab a beverage, let's get at her. Who does not love a good organ? Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. And thanks for everybody for all your continued support across our social media platforms and the new signups for our newsletters at www.insidemycanoehead.ca. Thank you very much. Welcome to the team. So we're going to continue this summer fun adventure before season seven of the episodes kicks off in August. We're talking about the 10 most important items for sheltering in place as part of your emergency preparedness plan. Everybody likes a list near again. So we're going to deliver a couple of yous and have some fun over this summer. So first of all, why sheltering in place? Well, if you follow us here at Inside My Canoe Head or you've purchased our book, Preparedness Simplified, that's available on Amazon and on our website, we talk about sheltering in place as the number one actual plan you should have because it meets all of your possible contingency outcomes other than the most dangerous outcome, which is evacuation, which is also a chapter in the book. So when you look at sheltering in place, it is going to be everyone for whom you're responsible is going to collapse back on your residence and you're prepared to stay there and provide for all those people who whom you're responsible for, for a period of time. We refer to it as your timeline that you've chosen. So most public uh, agencies are talking 72 hours. That's a timeline. Here at Inside My Canoe Head, we recommend 14 days because 14 days is based upon some latest research that we've come up with and conducted that we're going to publish in a journal article with our parent company, Preparedness Labs Incorporated, that is coming out in October of this year, the first journal volume. They will be quarterly and subsequently all about the state of preparedness and the preparedness genre world from a more formal research-orientated perspective. If you're interested, drop over to preparednesslabs.ca and sign up there. But sheltering in place is the plan that everybody should have because other than the state of where you are required to evacuate against your will, you will be staying at home. It is logical. It is where everything you own is. You've been able to survive to this point in that place anyhow. And familiar are safe spaces. And safe spaces keep people calm. And when people are calm, they make rational choices and decisions. And they are far more capable of dealing with life's difficulties, challenges, and disruptions when they are calm and at peace at home. So based upon that, here at Inside My Canoe Head, we also talk about something called your animalistic requirements. We often say that there is many people who think humans are above the environment, but in fact, we are simply another animal that is in the environment. To survive in the environment, the animal, the human animal, needs not much different from what every other animal does. Now, take the human animal and place it into a modern industrialized society it has six animalistic requirements that come to the forefront. And when we speak of those, we speak of taking care of ourselves. And the animalistic requirements are shelter, food, water, safety, security, and health. And we will use those as the framework today. Everything that we talk about and discuss falls into one of those six. So why of the 10 that we have picked? Well, it's both from 
research data that exists in a formal journalistic scientific sense and also from anecdotal data that we've taken from people's stories, news reports, etc. So basically, we do research here at Inside Mike and who had to come up with these ideas. They're not willy-nilly, as some people would say. They're actually based on what logic tells us is intelligent. Some of them are fun, maybe not exactly what you think. Some of them may be familiar, though. So sit back. Let's go. Number one, for shelter, you're going to need some durable blankets, right? So think about your house. You are going to probably not have heat. The idea of sheltering in place is you will not have access to utilities any way, shape, or form. If you have a secondary heat source, we're talking about being prepared even when that's not available. So durable blankets aren't these cool, nice, fluffy, neat ones that you get at the store and they're all decorative and they're beautiful and they're nicely folded. These are the bloody things that you can take to the beach, roll around in the dirt in, and they're still going to be useful. Think wool. The reason for durable blankets are, is that you are going to have to keep people warm. Now, people have been keeping warm for time immemorial where you live, right? Think of the First Nations live where you live right now, and they didn't have heat, and they just had some wood structures um, with skin wrapped around them and a little fire, and they made it through. So, durable blankets, some of them can be fun, some of them not, but remember, that's your number one. Number two is a keeping room. Now, you might have heard this if you've studied um, Appalachia times and the history in Appalachia in the United States of America, but a keeping room is a small room in the house where everybody would go to in cold nights. So you think of a small room, maybe eight by 10, 10 by 10, and everybody would go there and sleep in there together. And actually their body heat alone would keep that room cold or sorry, warm enough (laughs) to make sure that everybody made it through. So it's a keeping room. So it's basically thinking about right now in the heat dome and extreme heats that we have in North America, this is your basement, right? You're going to find a place in the basement where you can go because the top floor is probably just disgusting if the air conditioning is not working. But if you go down to the basement and up against an exterior wall, you're probably pretty well climate controlled, right? So a keeping room is having a room in your house that's been identified where everybody can go to stay together so that their body heat can keep a small room going. I know it sounds weird, but we're not giving you the regular stuff. We're giving you what research tells us has kept humans alive for tons of time. So under food, number one, camp stove, right? And I say that because everybody says, let's have, if say your timeline is 14 days, we're going to go for um, canned food, right? Okay, well, let's hand around the can opener and let's open up the peas and put them in a pot and then hand them to everybody cold and see how long it takes for the mutiny to start in your house. As we talk about it inside my canoe, Ed, the, the animalistic requirement of food is a system. And that means right from acquisition to disposal of scraps and every process in between has to be considered when you talk about food. So the reason I say camp stove is because there are so many different variations of them and so many different possible fuel sources that they can be got at used places for next to nothing, right? Because I always say preparedness is free, and or very, very close to being free. So you don't need to go out and buy the top of the line camp stove. I mean, if you have 
that kind of capacity, great. But for a lot of people who are economically challenged, especially in the days of high inflation, you can find used camp stoves for dirt cheap. Now, the only caveat with this one is you have to be able to use it external to your home. You can't use it in a home, full stop, right? So if you're in an apartment without a balcony, the camp stove option is not yours, right? It's simply not yours. Try the terracotta pot method with a candle to heat something up. I'm dead serious. If you just Google the terracotta pot method with a candle, it'll provide an sufficient enough heat for you to be able to at least warm something. But the camp stove is brilliant. It basically ensures that people have hot food. I know I'm married to a brilliant woman. And if I don't provide her a hot cup of tea when the shizzy hits the fizzy, I might as well pack my bug out bag and head out the front door because I am going to be excommunicated for my own shelter in place plan. So preparing hot food for people, being able to heat things up, especially if you're in a cold environment or making a nice cup of coffee can really ground everybody and bring down the anxiety level. So number three, for water, it's simple. It's a water filter, right? Now, sometimes you may, because of a lack of utilities or an issue with the water system, you may be faced with a boil water advisory. Well, that's really cool, but if you... If the utilities are out as well and you have an electric stove, how are you supposed to boil water? So the simple idea is we take away having to use utilities out of the question and saying, I need a methodology to or a method to produce clean potable water from whatever source water I have and a water filter to do that. Chromium dioxide, um, chromium. <laughs> oh God, chlorine dioxide tablets. Um, there are ways to use bleach. I won't tell you how to do that because if you get it wrong, you poison people. So make sure that you look at that from a from a source. Uh, I use, uh, there's all kinds of commercial ones, life straw ones, um, different ones. Some people can use um, camp stife. Camp stores have a lot of them. Anyhow, there are so many different variations of it. What I use is both the water tablets and I have a camping water filter, um, very much like a Sawyer squeeze, right? I have one of those. I can produce potable water no matter what the situation. I can literally go outside and pick up the puddle water with petroleum in it from the cars, pour it into a bucket, and then use my water filter, and I can create potable, drinkable water for humans. So number one, water filter. This one may actually cost you a little bit of money. In the worst case scenario, iodine tablets exist. They're not going to taste great. The water's not going to taste great, but it's going to not kill people, and that's a pretty cool thing. So we go on now to number five, which is under safety, power source right? Welcome to the world of interconnected, technologically enabled uh, society that we all live in. You need a power source for your phone. Now, people will talk about all kinds of different sources of access information. That's great. I use my phone and you use your phone. You use your phone more than you're probably willing to admit in public how important your phone is to what you do. Having a battery bank backup for your phone is critical. They're not expensive. They're no more than $30 or $40 on Amazon, and it'll give you three, four, five, or six charges depending on the type of phone you have. So your ability to not 
run out into your driveway and start up your car and consuming your finite non-replaceable resource called gasoline to charge your cell phone, right? Uh, Very, very important to have a power source. Uh, If you have, when you go through, and we talk about this in the book, when you talk about when you look at your individual family members, some of them may have unique specific needs. For example, if you have a family member that needs climate controlled cold chain medicine. So basically they need to have medicine that is refrigerated, which means you have to have the ability to provide refrigeration 24 seven. That will change your minimal acceptable power source, right? That's a different conversation, but you have to have that conversation if that need exists in your family. So for number five, it's a power source. For me, I go on Amazon. I buy the little power banks that have the solar panel on them. So in the weirdest of circumstances, I literally have, as long as I'm patient and you takes about a full day of eight hours in the sun to recharge it, um, yeah, I, I have time immemorial power for my cell phone, full stop. And now that we move to another safety element, number six, which is a fire extinguisher right? Fires may happen. And when fires happen, normally you can call 911 and fire department shows up in a few minutes and puts it down. You're assuming 911 is available. You're assuming the fire department is available and a significant shelter in place plan. There is no confirmation as well as having a fire extinguisher allows you to address an event right away immediately and put it out. Now I say fire extinguisher in front of a fire blanket. Now a fire blanket is far less destructive. It doesn't throw a bunch of chemicals all over your kitchen and stuff. But if you have fires in difficult positions on a wall, in a panel or something, that you can't throw a blanket over, a fire extinguisher works for all possible fires. Now, make sure you get the right type of fire extinguisher. There are experts. They're called your fire department. Contact them and say, hey, listen, I need to buy, I'm looking to buy a fire extinguisher, a single type of one. They will be more than happy to tell you based upon what you think you may face in your home, the size and the type of fire extinguisher. Talk to the experts, not the YouTube folks. Find out what you need, but having a fire extinguisher at home and then having everyone trained on how to properly use it, which the fire department can explain to you how as well, is just an amazing freaking essential piece of kit to have. And I don't mean that small handheld two shot three second one that's given in your RV. I'm talking a big handheld canister one that you get. My favorite is I get them at Costco dirt cheap. Okay, now we are going to number seven, which is a flashlight. This is under security. Now you might think a flashlight is great for safety to have around. Flashlight is good for security because you need a certain type of flashlight that has the um, strobe mode. And the strobe mode, what it is, is you press whatever series of buttons is required and it gives this flashing repetitive light. The reason being, it's the number one device to disorientate something like an animal in your backyard, an animal that's trying to break into your home, or a two-legged animal that's trying to break into your home, to disorientate their idea of what's going on because when you put that in their face they can't see the world around them they can't see the hands in front of their face their brain doesn't have the ability to take in information at the same time and their synaptic response it's basic psychology right physiology and psychology it overcomes right it disorientates somebody can't physically attack you when they can't ascertain their surroundings 
It's full stop. It's the number one way to get out of a situation is to have a pocket flashlight with a strobe. I have one that's rechargeable because I don't use battery powered things in my entire life, but I use a small handheld rechargeable flashlight that I carry on me as part of my everyday carry that has two buttons on it. You press it and it starts a strobe flashlight. Bam. Nobody is getting at me with that. Same as an animal, I use it when I'm camping. I've never had to pull it out, but there's nothing better to dissuade a bear or something else like that that you run in the woods short of bear spray that you are not worthy. They are confused and they don't know what the world looks like around them. It's also good for just finding stuff, right? Because I, one of the most important things in security and in safety is not getting hurt, right? You don't want to get hurt when you're in a sheltering in place situation. So you'll need a flashlight to search for parts of dark parts of your home that aren't naturally lit up or at night to find something you may be looking for, right? You don't want to be stubbing toes or tripping and falling downstairs and breaking a leg. That doesn't make your sheltering in place experience any more fun, right? So a flashlight, really, really good. I think it belongs in security, not safety, because it's more so for that. The next one, number eight is motion lights. I'm a huge fan of these and I'm talking not the really super expensive ones. You can get them at Costco. They're solar powered, right? Or battery powered, whatever one you can buy. And they're just pointed at avenues of approach. And in the army, we call it avenues of approach. There are ways in which your a foe must use to access your position. So your home is your sheltering in place, right? Security is a very important thing to have. And deterrence is the number one. You want your house to look like a hard target against anybody, an, a thief of opportunity or a thief with intent. You want to be a hard target. So bam, motion lights are great. They're bold, they're bright, and they light your backyard and your front door up like a freaking Christmas tree. So anybody who's approaching, especially, um, at night in the driveway, anything like that, having these motion lights around your house, what it does is it number one alerts you that something is there because the light went off. Number two, it alerts that person because they're now fully visible. And three, when somebody sees that happen from a distance, they're going to move to another place. It's basically the best possible deterrence short of an active security system. Now we're going to go to number nine, which is an active security system. It's called a dogo. It's a dog. Everybody loves dog. I'm a dog person. This is my first year without a dog in my whole life. Um, and I miss my dog, but dogs are just incredible because they are very protective by nature. And I don't care if it's a little shih tzu or all the way up to a Rottweiler and a massive pit bull. The point of a dog is not to be an attack device to take down an, an intruder. The point of a dog is it's there to tell you that something other that shouldn't be there is there, right? They start barking their heads off when something approaches the house. That's all you need a dog to do. And 99.72% of people who are looking for opportunistic things, especially in times of sheltering in place when utilities are down and normal operations in life are somewhat disrupted, are going to be dissuaded by a dog, right? Absolutely. They hear a barking dog with inside a house. They get fairly close. They get the barking dog and emotion light goes up. Guess what? 
stick a sign in the lawn that says protected by ADT. <laughs> Who cares whether it actually is or not? You do that and like 99.72% of those who may want to do you harm in your house or steal something from you are gone. It's the best safety device. And everybody loves the dog. It's fun to play with. Uh, Now, they're going to add to your animalistic requirements. They're going to add to your sheltering in place requirements because you're going to have to have food and water. And you're going to have to let them out to use the washroom, all this kind of things. But fair enough, that's normal life, right? But having a dog is number nine. Really, really important. Best item to have in my life for sheltering in place. And the last one under health is super obvious, but often incredibly overlooked is a first aid kit. Because your emergency room likely won't be available and you don't want to be going there anyhow for boo-boos and band-aids, right? Even if you have a significant event like a broken leg, you know, Uncle John did not listen to you and tried to go down the stairs without the flashlight that you had recommended for his sheltering in place plan, and he breaks his leg, right? You may not have an ambulance available to extricate Uncle John from the bottom of the stairs to get him to a hospital, right? It just may not be available or maybe days away. The point being is first aid kits properly equipped go beyond your boo-boos and band-aids. They deal with splints. How to do splints. How to immobilize a broken leg how to clean a wound properly and provide antiseptic so it doesn't get infected, how to close a deep cut, those type of things. Having a properly equipped first aid kit is incredibly important. Now, we say this in the book, and we say this inside my canoe head all the time, before you go out and buy a commercial off-the-shelf first aid kit, I'm going to give this advice. I do it all the time, I, and I will repeat it time immemorial. Search your house in times of peace and calm and gather everything together. If you take all of the Band-Aids, a little bit of hand soap, a little bit of antiseptic, and you bring that all together from all the different sources in your house, you probably have a pretty significant first aid kit that already exists just in little pieces scattered all around your home, especially if you've lived there for a while. And just bring it together. And then once you've taken your requisite first aid course, which we always recommend that you do, you'll then under have a better understanding as to what is missing in your kit. Then depending on your economic situation, you can be quite innovative. For example, um, I've had to splint broken wounds with um, sticks and rope, not with some really cool Gucci commercials. Um, splint device that you can buy on live air air sprints uh splints and all this other stuff no no i've had to use um sticks and and rope to be able to immobilize a broken leg so it's not a question of economics it's a question of understanding what you need and having it there so those are the 10 items that we here at Inside My Canoe Head think are the number 10 item top 10 items you should have for sheltering in place and let's go over it again a quick your durable blankets you need a keeping room in the house a camp stove a water filter some sort of power source a fire extinguisher a flashlight a motion light on the outside get yourself a dog if you can and a first aid kit a lot of fun putting these together and doing the research for this i hope you enjoy it 
Please continue to follow us as we go through this fun, less than full speed summer, shall we say. Enjoy in the time, the family, friends, the people that you love around you. Thanks for joining us again this week at Inside My Canoe Head. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.